growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Two imperfect people living under the same roof is a formula for disaster if God is not in it. And even then, it's, it's touch and go. It can be tough, right? Marriage. When it's good, there's nothing better. But when your marriage is struggling or when there's conflict, home sweet home feels more like home in a war zone. Is there hope? Keep present in your mind what you have to be grateful for. Our spouses, we as spouses are imperfect people. But I would encourage you, make a discipline of thinking, what was it that drew me to my spouse in the first place? What were those things that I admired or cherished or fell in love with? Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today, we're continuing our Survivor Series by diving into Ephesians chapter 5 to find the strategy we need to employ to survive marital conflict. Please hear me say this. It's not my intention to to, uh, anger you or hurt you or to, to open up old wounds today. It is my intention to teach the truth of God's Word so that all of us, whether married or hope to be married someday, can find the tools from God's Word that we can use to apply to our marriage so that we're ready when marital conflict comes because marital conflict is coming. Anyone who is married or has been married knows that marital conflict is going to happen. But as Pastor Clay is going to explain today, God lays out a strategy for not only surviving marital conflict, but thriving in marriage. Now here's Pastor Clay with the first part of the message for Surviving Marital Conflict. Our Survivor Series. Y'all say that word with me? Survivor. Discussing how to survive situations and challenges and obstacles in life. We started the series, if you happen to be here then, we started the series talking about surviving death. How many of y'all remember that? We started the series talking about surviving death because, and I said this then, It doesn't make any difference what you survive in life if you're not prepared to survive death. And and can I just say this? I I just, this week as I was working on this message, this this thought just came to me. I just wanted to say this. Actually, just last night, I didn't even have this as part of my introduction. But as I was thinking about it, I was talking about it, uh, praying about it and that sort of thing. I thought, I just want to say to you that you need to understand that surviving death is the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. Because this life is essentially very brief and afterlife, eternity is, well, it's forever. If you have questions about surviving death, talk to me. Talk to one of the elders, talk to one of the staff. Or if not that, take that connect card that you were given when you came in the room this morning, take that connect card, jot your name down, jot your phone number down. I'll call you and talk to you about it. If you have questions about surviving death because listen you need to understand this and maybe most of you do but just let me let me reiterate it to you uh, this morning before we get in actually into the message God does not want you to think you'll survive death God doesn't want you to hope that you'll survive death God doesn't want you to wonder if you will survive death. God wants you to know that you will survive death. 1 John 5.13, these things I have written that you may know 
that you have eternal life. It's basically what the entire book of 1 John is about, laying out evidence. This is what your life will look like. This is how you'll begin to think. This is how you begin to act as a result of this new birth experience that happens in your life. So, so I just say to you, if, if you have questions about eternity and whether you'll survive death, even the idea of surviving death, the very first message in this series, please, please, talk, I'd love to talk to you about it. Since the first week, though, we have been looking at, exploring uh, ideas involved with that we need to survive or trying to survive in life because anybody that's been alive for very long at all knows that life itself is basically a series of obstacles and challenges that have to be overcome or survive. Would you agree? Life itself, it tends to be a series of obstacles and challenges. And every day uh, is a new one popping up or this one just lingers on for years. But life itself is a series of challenges and obstacles that we're looking to survive. And if you've been in this series, you know that God defines surviving as thriving. It's God's intention that we thrive through the challenge, through the obstacle. And so we've looked at several different ideas or challenges or obstacles that we face in life. We've still got some more that we're going to look at in the weeks ahead. But today we touch base. Today is the first part of two messages that I will bring on one of life's obstacles, one of life's challenges that affects millions and millions of people. I'm talking about the challenge. I'm talking about the obstacle of marital conflict. Marital conflict. <laughs> right, it's like, oh yeah, I, please, can, I, can we hear more about marital conflict? I love hearing about marital conflict, but this is the reality, right? If you are married or you have been married in your life, you know that marital conflict is a reality. As I have said many times, I know you heard me say this multiple times, Two imperfect people living under the same roof is a formula for disaster if God is not in it. And even then, it's, it's touch and go. <laughs> it can be tough, right? It's marital conflict. And it happens. And, and, and sometimes we think, what happened? How did, how did we get to this point in our marriage? Speaking of marriage, uh, Cindy and I are going to be gone for the next uh, couple of weeks uh, because uh, we're going to be, we got an opportunity to get away to celebrate our anniversary. Now, our, our, our anniversary, thank you very much, our anniversary is not until uh, July, but uh, Cindy found this, you know, a good deal on an opportunity we had to, to get away, and uh, so we're going to do that, and so the next couple weeks we'll be gone, and uh, because we will be celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary. 40th wedding anniversary. Oh. My wife has braces. 40th wedding anniversary. Now, listen, that, that doesn't even seem possible, A, because I don't even look much older than 40 now. So how could I have been married 40 years, right? I mean, take away the mustache and, and it's, it's basically still me. It's the same, 
Same guy. Well, the, the kind of mustache, <laughs> trying to be. We're both 18 years old there. 18 years old. So, A, it, it seems hard to believe that, that, that it could possibly be 40 years. Uh, but, but, two, I can't believe Cindy has put up with me for 40 years. True, truthfully, I can't believe that she's put up with me for 40 years. And, and it, honestly, it just seems like yesterday. And some of you, if you've been married a few years, you, you can relate to this. But it seems like just yesterday we were moving into our first single wide trailers. Newlyweds came back from our honeymoon, moved into our first single wide trailer. It was awesome. You had big antenna sticking up there, man. Kids, they didn't have cable back then. No direct TV dish. Had to stick a big antenna up in the air to turn and get your three channels. That's a, uh, that's a, I think it's a 78 or 77 El Camino right there. That thing was awesome right there, right? Brown El Camino. That was awesome. That's how I got Cindy. No, I didn't. Now, some of you know that Cindy and I didn't start out doing marriage God's way. Weren't looking to do marriage God's way. But by his grace, he drew us to himself, redeemed us, drew, drew us to himself, and put us on a path towards having a marriage that he desired for us to have. Because otherwise, I, I, I don't know that we would have made it this far. Uh, honestly. Not because either one of us were bad people, but because marriage is hard. Marriage is hard. And every day, thousands of marriages are breaking up. And sometimes it's like one, one little statement or one little jab or one little something escalates and turns into this and grows into that and and things are said that shouldn't be said and, and feelings are stomped on like, like the front doormat and people are walking out the door saying, I've had enough, I'm done. What, what gets us to that point? What gets us to that point is marital conflict, quite honestly. And what causes marital conflict is life. Life with its with its problems and its pressures. And those problems and those pressures are a prime breeding ground for marital conflict. Now, the good news is God wants us to, to survive slash thrive even in the midst of marital conflict, even overcoming marital conflict. Because, listen, marital conflict is coming, right? Right? This is not about eliminating all marital conflict. It's just two imperfect people living under the same roof is a formula for disaster. Do I need to say that again? It, it, we're, we're, it's going to happen. So how do we survive it? How do we thrive in it? Because can I say this to you? Nobody, nobody gets married with the intention of seeing their marriage dissolve. Nobody gets married and says, well, I think I'll, uh, I'll have a nice wedding. I'll stay married for, I don't know, 10, 12 years. And then I'll uh, put myself, my spouse, and our children through a living hell as we, as we break up. No, nobody, nobody starts out to do that. So how do we get to that place? Marital conflict. Uh, today, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, you can open to one of the most important passages of Scripture in the Bible on the subject of marriage. And that is Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at and discuss this week and then... I guess it'd be not next week or the next week. It'll be gone both those weeks. The following week after that, we'll, we'll pick back up on it. 
we're going to look at some, some, some actions that you and I can take to survive marital conflict. Listen, let me say this as you're turning to Ephesians chapter 5. Text is going to be up on the screen as well, but let me say this. If, if you were married and your marriage failed, your fault, their fault, both of your fault, but, but your love was crushed under the marital conflict that you experienced in your life and you ended up divorcing, please hear me say this. It's not my intention to, to uh, anger you or hurt you or to, to open up old wounds today. It is my intention to teach the truth of God's Word so that all of us, whether married or hope to be married someday, all of us can, can have the tools can find the tools from God's Word that we can use to apply to our marriage so that we're ready when marital conflict comes because marital conflict is coming. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to read, I'm going to begin in verse 18 and, uh, and, and read through the passage, the section dealing with marriage. Y'all ready? Need to take a deep breath? By the way, I'm only covering two of the actions today. And uh, keep this in mind, these two are the easier two. The next two, that's a way to draw them back, Clay. (laughs) Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands, in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband pray with me this morning father uh, as we get into this passage of scripture that is critically 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 important for believers uh, in marriage or who hope to be married someday marriage is not easy i would be the first to say it's worth it it's wonderful, it's beautiful, it, it, it's fantastic, but it's also hard and difficult and, 
and wrong words can be said and, and feelings can be heard and actions can be taken and so quickly. Things that just escalate out of control before we even know what happened. And, and God, I, I believe that if, if we have too many of those conflicts or too big a conflict, that sometimes repairing the damage can be very, very difficult. But thank goodness we believe in a God who can do the impossible. And so today, uh, Lord God, we ask that you would guide and direct us, that you'd fill us with your wisdom, that you'd meet each person. Maybe there's uh, students in this room and getting married is the farthest thing from their mind years from now. But in your timing, they may get married. Maybe there's people in here who were married and, and that marriage fell apart. They lost it for whatever the reasons. That's, that's not the point. The point is, in your timing, if we are married, if we do marry, God, we don't want the enemy to win. We want to have victory in our marriage. We want to thrive in our marriage. So I pray that you take the truth of your word and you would take your messenger boy today and you would, and you would impact the hearts and lives of each person in this room, each person who will hear this message. Lord God, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start with the first action that we need to take. Here it is. To survive marital conflict, start, stop trying and start relying. I won't necessarily read all that again we just read, but you want to survive marital conflict? Rule one, you got to stop trying. <laughs> and you got to start relying. It may sound strange to you to hear me say that if you want to, to, your marriage to succeed, you got to stop trying. But hang with me, and I, I think it will become clear what we're, trying to, what we're trying to communicate here, what we're trying to say. Now, I, I'm not dealing with Paul's uh, admonition in verse 18. I, I'm, not, I'm not dealing with that today where he says, uh, do not get drunk on wine. I'm not dealing with it. By the way, that doesn't mean that it's okay to get drunk on beer or Jack Daniels or margaritas just because they're not wine, okay? The admonition is to not get drunk, period. There's just no place for it in, in the life of a, of a believer, not to mention all the damage that can result of it. But I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. Yes, Paul says, don't do this. It's gonna, it's, don't, don't get drunk on alcohol. It's going to lead to bad choices, bad decisions, bad actions. Don't, don't do that. Yes, he, he says that. But I'm not dealing with that today really because Paul's really not dealing with that in verse 18. He's not really dealing with, with drunkenness. Yes, he says there's, there's this negative imperative. Don't get drunk on wine. Don't, don't do that. It leads to dissipation. It leads to just actions that, that wouldn't be. He said, don't do that. But believe it or not, Paul's actually using drunkenness as a model. <laughs> Does that sound strange to you? drunkenness as a model? That's actually what he's doing. Let me explain what I mean. Essentially, Paul is saying, what Paul is saying here, he says, you know how a person, when they're under the influence of alcohol, how they, they act oftentimes like a totally different person? Or they, or they do things that, that they might not normally do? Or that's what he, he, he's saying. He said, you know how a person, how they're controlled in that way, how that alcohol can often control them and lead them to make decisions that they normally wouldn't make if they weren't under the control of the alcohol, right? I think we can all, we can all agree with that. He says, 
obviously he says, you don't do that. He says, but like that, in the same way that a person under the influence of alcohol is controlled and, and does things that they might not normally do, he says, in the same way, let the Spirit of God do that to you. In the same way that alcohol might influence a person, let the Spirit of God influence you and cause you to make decisions that you might not in your natural self make. You might not naturally want to be kind or nice or patient, you know, all this kind of stuff. You might not naturally want to do that. But he says, but not that, but like that, let the Spirit of God control you so that you begin to make decisions that in your natural self you might not necessarily make, but under the influence. We, I just thought of this. It just, it just popped in. We, we, need, we, we, all need to be, we all need to be charged with, with LUI. We need to live under the influence. That's what he's saying. He says, but in the same way, let, let the Spirit of God influence you and control you and cause you to make decisions that you might not only make in yourself. So it may seem strange to you, because as we just read ahead there, you, you, know, you understand that the, the specific instructions for wives and husbands don't begin until verse 22. But you see these gentle instructions in verse 18, 19, 20, and 21 to all believers, it's imperative that we get, that we start there. It's imperative that we understand that if we're going to get this other part. That's why he brings it up before he even gets into, all right, now wives, here's how you do, here's how you do it. Husbands, here's how you do it. He goes on in chapter six, children, here's how you do it. But it has to start with this idea of being controlled or influenced by the Holy Spirit. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, listen to me, and ultimately, I mean, we, we look at people, we try and see people and see fruit and all that. But ultimately, uh, only you know that. But if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Spirit of God dwells inside of you right now. The Spirit of God dwells inside of you. Paul, in, uh, to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5, he says, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose, for the purpose of living, for is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. In other words, the, the, the fact that the Spirit of God dwells in me is part of the, the, the down payment, if you will, of what God is going to give to me in eternity. And I love that phrase right there, guaranteeing what is to come. If you know Christ is your Savior, the Spirit of God dwells in you, according to Luke eleven eleven, Luke twelve thirty six, John 14, uh, Acts 2, 4, Acts 2, 38, just name a few texts. The Spirit of God dwells in you, okay? But now listen to me. Just because the Spirit of God dwells within you does not necessarily mean that the Spirit of God has control of you. Just because the Spirit, a person may genuinely be in a relationship with Jesus Christ, may genuinely be born again, saved, however you want to put it, genuinely in a relationship, the Spirit absolutely dwells within them. But just because the Spirit of God dwells in a person does not necessarily mean that the Spirit has control of that person in at any given moment. You understand? And I know that to be true because over and over, especially Paul, over and over again, he's, he's emphasizing, be controlled by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. Well, why would he say that if it was automatic? If, if being saved automatically meant that you're going to do everything the way Jesus would have you do it, why would he even keep saying, you got, listen, you've got to be led by the Spirit, be controlled by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit? It's because sometimes we're not controlled by the Spirit. Sometimes we're not led by the Spirit. Can I get an amen? amen. 
and, and in the relationship with our spouse that translates into actions or activities that, are, that would not necessarily honor or glorify God because we're not being led by him. And so we act in a way that is based on our flesh. Let me, let me let you in on a secret. You already know this, but I'll say it anyway. At any given moment, you and I are all controlled by something. We just don't realize it. At any given moment, your actions, your, your thoughts, your feelings are controlled either by your circumstances and or emotions, or they are controlled by the Spirit of God. Either they're controlled by your flesh, my flesh, or they're controlled by the Spirit of God. And so, verse 19 then is a description of what a person looks like who is being controlled by the Spirit. When he says, speaking to one another, now he's about to get into the roles, but you can put this in the context of, of marriage, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Does that describe your marriage? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Listen, it, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that, that we go around living life as if it were a musical. Okay? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Kids must be to soccer by three. Will you take them or will it be me? Or we could go together for company. For dinner we'll pick up KFC. Or would you rather have Zaxby's? I know you think their tenders are more meaty. Right? I was going to do the guitar, but I felt like that would be a little over top. That wasn't, that might, guitar might be a little over the, the top. Right? Can you imagine? That's not, because uh, that's what, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, good morning, my love, wasn't like, la- anyway. Right? So, no, it doesn't mean that. But here's what, it, here's what it means. It means that a person who is controlled by the Spirit, a person who is led by the Spirit, you could say, in essence, there is a melody in their heart. Because they're controlled by the Spirit, because they're led by the Spirit. I know I haven't got to exactly how that happens, but because they're led by the Spirit of God instead of their flesh, there's, there's a joy, there's a contentment, and there's an ability to... to to face the obstacles, face the challenges, face the, the, the problems, the difficulties, to face your spouse and still have joy, still have contentment and not get crazy at whatever's going on as a result of what they're doing or not doing or how they feel or how you, you understand what I'm saying? It's the spirit controlling us instead of the flesh because if the flesh controls me, it's not gonna be pretty. One time, some of you, I think I've heard this story before, one time, when I was in seminary in Wake Forest, when Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, we were attending for a while a Mount Vernon Baptist Church in Raleigh, off Falls of News, we were attending that church. And after church one night, on Sunday night, uh, we decided to uh, go get a bite to eat. We wanted to try this hamburger place we had heard about. We were new in the area. We'd heard about this hamburger place called Char Grill. <laughs> Char Grill gets an amen, but I oh, know. I understand. I understand. So, so we're going to go to Char Grill. Well, we're new to the area, 
and uh, this was pre-GPS days, and we're trying to figure out how to get there. And we're having some trouble getting there. And we kind of got lost. Did y'all hear my voice just then? We kind of got lost. <laughs> it's hard for man to even say he got lost. And my wife, God bless her, likes to help me drive sometimes. If, 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 you, if some of you men know what I, what I mean by that. And God bless me, I need her to help me sometimes. But I didn't think this was one of them times. <laughs> and so we're, we're, we're driving down the road in a 1985 Chevrolet Astro van. And she's giving commentary and uh, telling me a few things about, you know, this and that and what are you doing? And among other things, telling me the turn that I just missed into the char grill. And I got, I got mad. I got mad. And I whipped that Astro van right in front of traffic, turned into this dirt gravel driveway that actually went out into a cow pasture, but there was a fence, there was a gate right just off the road, and I cut across traffic, and I slammed on the brakes and slid in there, and Cindy's like, <laughs> what are you doing? Are you insane? Have you lost your mind? Are you trying to kill us all? Something to that effect. That's certainly what I heard. <laughs> Do y'all, does, men, does that, when, when you're driving, your wife goes, <gasps> does that... So I threw that thing up in reverse. I smoked the tires back out of the house. Well, it's an 85 Astro van, so perhaps that's a bit of hyperbole. I said I smoked the tires. But I backed out, out, out into the highway with traffic coming, and I dropped in the drive, and I floored it a few hundred feet and turned into the char grill and flew into a parking spot and slammed on the brakes and threw it up in park. The kids immediately jumped out. <laughs> And Cindy and I just sat there, just sat there. I got my hands on the wheel, and I don't know what she's got her hands on, but she's over there. And I, 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 can't, I can't remember for sure, but I think at some point, finally, I said, aren't you going to get out and get something to eat? She said, no, I'm not eating. Bright me. I say, well, I'm not either. So there we sat, hungry and not in the spirit. And it happened just like that, right? We just come from church, for goodness sakes. Just came from church and got all up in the flesh. But that's how it, that, that's what happens. That's what, I'm telling you, that's what happens to us. Because you might be thinking, well, that's just a circumstance that happened to you. You weren't trying to make each other mad. You weren't trying to hurt each other's feelings. But that's precisely the point. Life is constantly providing opportunities like that. Life is constantly providing chances for us to get on each other's nerve or to make each other angry or to say the wrong thing or to act the wrong way. That's life unless you live in some cubicle or something that I don't know about, some bubble where nothing ever happens to you. Otherwise, life is constantly just throwing those opportunities at you for you to operate in the flesh instead of in the spirit. Think about the last disagreement that you had it could be with your spouse or it could be with any person, by the way, because that's why, he, that's why he brings this up before he gets into the particulars of marriage because this is how every relationship should operate for a believer in Jesus Christ. With our children, with our coworkers, with our whatever. Think about the last disagreement that you had with your spouse, with a, with a, uh, a child, with a family member, with your parent, with whatever. Ask yourself this question in that moment. Did I respond in the flesh or did I respond in the spirit? Because i tell you how I responded in that moment. Listen, God has given us a better way. 
you, you've read it. Let me, let me read it to you. A little bit lengthy, but it's important that we understand this. Galatians chapter 5. If you don't have this highlighted or marked in your Bible, it should be. And you ought to read it every day if you need to. Galatians chapter 5. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. What's he saying? He's saying the same thing he just said over in Ephesians chapter 5. Be controlled. Be led. Walk in. It's the same thing. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then... If you do that, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves, your flesh. The sinful nature wants to do evil. It wants to do wrong. Don't think of evil as like, it's not just Freddy Krueger kind of evil. It's, it's, it's anything that God would not have you do or wouldn't want you to operate your life like that. That's, that's evil. That's wrong. Which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature wants. Right? Look what he says. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. If you know Christ is your Savior, there's a fight going on at any given moment. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions because you say, well, I know I need to, I know I need to act the right way. I, I probably should be more patient. There's the flesh just waiting. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. In other words, it's not, it's not about keeping the do's and don'ts. Man, this is the spirit of God is controlling me. He's, he's causing me to, to do right, act right, have joy, have contentment. When you follow desires of your sinful nature, results are very clear. Now look at what he said. This is a pretty, this is not an exhaustive list, but somewhere in this list was, was the way I treated my wife that night in the Astro van. But look what, look, look what goes right alongside it. Sexual immorality which would be any type of sexual relationship outside the confines of marriage, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery. Sorcery? Why sorcery? Hostility. Ooh, well, eh. Quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not talking about somebody that, that sins or messed up. We've all probably committed multiple sins. We've all, we're, I mean, we, we have all, not probably. But he's not saying that if you commit a sin, he's saying the person that this is, this is the life they've chosen to live. That, that life. He said, That's, those aren't the people of God. They'll not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit, here it is, produces this kind of fruit. So he's just given us the fruit of the flesh, if you will. Can anybody identify with that flesh, with that, with that fruit? But the fruit of the Spirit produces this kind of, the Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. I just ask you this. Can you imagine, I've said this many times in a marital counseling situation, can you imagine any scenario, any situation in your life where if, if, the, if the Spirit of God is producing in you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, all that, that's the list, and your spouse is, is allowing the Spirit to produce the same thing, can you imagine any scenario where you couldn't, where you couldn't overcome? Not, not a one. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, in other words, since we have the Spirit in us, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. You can see the application for that in the church, in, in marriage, in the family, 
man, what, can you understand how much better it, it is if we let the Spirit of God control us rather than, than the flesh? And I'll say it again, at any given moment in our lives, something is controlling us. And listen, please understand this. I'm not just talking about tr- trying harder. Anybody can do that. You don't have to know Christ to, to try. Well, I, I'm going to try and be more patient. I'm going to try and be kinder. I'm going to try and be more loving, uh, buy more candy for my wife. I'm going to, anybody can do that, right? And it can, it can help for a while. But when it doesn't, when it's not enough to overcome whatever it is, when the obstacle is too big, when the challenge is too great, at some point, one or both of them are going to say, well, I, I tried. I, I, I tried. I, I gave it my all. Let me say this, and then I'll move on real quickly. If you know Christ is your Savior, the Spirit dwells in you. That means you have the potential for His fruit to be produced in you. Okay? It's not you being more kind. It's not you being more peaceful or patient. It's the Spirit's fruit, right? Isn't that what it says? The Spirit is producing this in you because you're being controlled by Him. If you're married to a, 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 someone who's not a believer, you say, well, they, uh, they, they can't have the fruit of the Spirit produced in them. No, not, you're right. So what do, I do, what do I do with that? You just let the fruit keep on being produced in your life. And it'll be enough. It'll be enough for you to have joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. All of these things that he produces in us to make it possible for us to have victory, to survive, to thrive in those trials and circumstances in our life. Your, your circumstance where your spouse may be an ongoing one. You struggle in this area of your life or, or you have a problem with that or there, there, there's a difficulty with this. Listen, there's right? We all have that stuff. The question is, how do we have victory in it? Well, first, you've got to stop trying, and you've got to start relying on the Spirit of God. Now, I may talk about this a little in a couple weeks, but let me just tell you real quickly, the best way that you do that to, to be controlled by the Spirit is to, is to set the time aside every morning in your life to open the Word of God and begin to ingest it, to take the Word of God into your heart and into your life. Well, what do I read? It doesn't, it doesn't even matter. That's not, that's not the point. The point is you're meeting God in that moment. This is about this relationship with him. And this is his word. And this is where I go. This is the primary place he speaks to me. And if I go here and I spend time here, and I, I got to be 67 different places. The kids do have to be the soccer by three. Doesn't, if, I don't, if I don't make time for this, then I'm just going to tell you, most of your decisions today will be in the flesh. Now, they may not all be, be bad. You may make some nice decisions. You may say, no, I, I, I need to. You, you can do that in your flesh. You can make some right decisions in your flesh. But eventually, it won't, it won't hold up. You need something more. You need this description in verse 19. Of a life that's just filled with joy. Stop trying. Start relying. All right, real quickly, second idea. Now, I'll come back to some of that in a couple weeks. But here's the second idea this morning. It's five marital conflict. Keep an attitude of gratitude. Keep an attitude of gratitude. And listen, that's not just a platitude. This, uh, you, you have to do this. Listen, verse 20. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Always giving thanks for all things to God, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously, this would apply in the context of life overall, being thankful for life and and what all God is doing, even, even when we don't understand, or even when some of it's hard, being thankful that God is above everything and God has plans and purposes for everything that goes on in your life. Do you hear me? Everything goes on in your life. 
God has plans and purposes and can work, work them. doesn't mean everything in your life is good. It just means that he's ahead of all of it. So that he's working all things to the good, to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. But in the context of marriage, it is always being grateful for your spouse. Always. And I'm talking about verbalizing it to yourself, to them, as much as possible. An attitude of gratitude. I've heard this. But they do stuff I'm not thankful for. I know. (laughs) I know. That's why I'm telling you that you have to develop a discipline of gratitude in your heart and in your life. You have to build this discipline into your life. To choose to be grateful for your spouse doesn't mean that you have to be grateful for everything they do. For instance, why, why, do, wives, why, why do wives do this? Why do wives say, I think this milk is sour. Here, smell it. I, I don't, I don't want to smell sour milk. I like to channel surf when I'm watching TV during the commercial time of the show that we're watching. Drives Cindy insane. She doesn't have to be thankful. Lord, thank you so much that he's a channel surfer. I don't know. I never would have found out about that palm olive oil. She doesn't have to be thankful for that. But hopefully, and this is, this is on all each of us, right? Hopefully, I have given her enough things to be thankful for that she can focus on those things and that those things sustain her at times when I'm doing some knucklehead thing so that she can still say, Lord, you know what an idiot he is, but, but I'm, I'm so grateful for him. Thank you that you put him in my life. Thank you that he... he he tries to lead us or, th- you know, what, whatever. I'm saying this attitude of gratitude has to be developed in our life. And it will not happen naturally. It'll happen naturally when, when our spouse does something, you know, like really blown away. And we're like, wow, thank you. But that's not enough. You understand? That's not, that, that will not sustain us. We have to have this attitude of gratitude. And that comes, again, from the Spirit of God. When He's controlling us, seeing stuff and being grateful for it, it, it you'll find that it happens a lot more Naturally, because in your flesh, you know what you see? You know what you see. (laughs) The negative stuff, the bad stuff, the knucklehead stuff, right? Why why does she have to do that? Why can't he control that? Why why does he have to leave his, you know, all this stuff, whatever it is. That's what you'll see if you're operating in the flesh. If the Spirit has control of you, now listen, y'all think I'm being silly, right? You're, You're thinking this sounds impossible, but I'm telling you, it's only because you haven't tried it or you haven't tried it enough to be led, to be controlled by the Spirit so that He's able to cause you to be grateful. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said this. He said, if the constellations appeared only once in a thousand years, imagine what an exciting event it would be. But because they're there every night, we barely give them a look. That can be marriage, ladies and gentlemen. And guys, can I, can I say this to you? And it's something I, I, I need to constantly be learning as well. It's a big deal to our wife if we notice them. If we say to them, you look pretty, you look nice, I want to be with you, whatever the, the case may be. That, that's a big deal. But because they're there every day, and, and the other way around too, husband, wives to husband, because they're there all the time, why does he have to, why does, can't he find something to do? <laughs> 
Can't he get a hobby? <laughs> because they're always there, we can sometimes take them for granted, right? Have you ever done that? Has that ever happened to you? Sure. Imagine if they weren't there. Robert Louis Stevenson said, the person who has stopped being thankful has fallen asleep in life. And it's too easy to fall asleep in our marriage. It's too easy to fall asleep, take them for granted, take what we have for granted, and oftentimes to, to not wake up until it's too late. It's an attitude of gratitude. Dr. Paige Patterson, who was the president of Southeastern Seminary when I attended there, he told me one time that he believed that ingratitude was what led to the first sin. Adam and Eve didn't appreciate what God had given to them. They didn't know what they had until they lost it. If you're married, if you hope to be married someday, your spouse will drive you absolutely insane at times. <laughs> the memorial service for Bruce Tidwell will be immediately <laughs> after this service. But listen, if you will let the Spirit of God control you, and listen, if, you, if, you, if you're saying, well, I'm, okay, read the Word, but what, just ask Him. Just, just say every day, and you might, sometimes I tell people, you might say it a thousand times, God, control me. God, you, you, you lead me. God, you control me. A situation at work where some worker comes in and says, meh, 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 because that's how it sounds. Meh, 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 meh. God, may your Spirit guide me so that I respond in a way that's, that's right, that's just, but that honors you in the way I respond. When your spouse does something that makes no sense to you, when they, when they say something that hurts you, when they act in a way that it, it, it's allowing the Spirit of God to control you so that, so that clay's not responding in the flesh, but the Holy Spirit is responding through clay. This is what the Spirit would, the Spirit would love. The Spirit would be patient. The Spirit would be loving. The Spirit would be, you understand? And then allow Him to, to keep present in your mind what you have to be grateful for. Our spouses... We as spouses are imperfect people. But I would encourage you, make a discipline of thinking, what, what, what was it that drew me to my spouse in the first place? What, what were those things that I admired or cherished or fell in love with? And, and, and think of some new ones. My, my spouse, the, the, the way she does this, the way he does that, you've got to be intentional about it. Now, I said to you, we're going to close, those are the easy ones, Okay? In a couple of weeks, we'll get to the other two that are just as vitally important as these. The specifics, the, the understanding, this is, how, this is how it works for a wife. This is how it works for a husband. We have to understand our roles if we're going to have what God wants us to have. We've got to understand that, okay? It's going to be hard. It's hard for I think I heard a few gasp even as I read, wives, be subject to your husbands, right? I didn't break out the King James where it literally uses the word submit, <laughs> Okay, come back. Let's, let's get into that. But it has to start, stop trying in your flesh and start relying on the Spirit of God to help you in your relationship with your spouse or anybody else and learn to develop an attitude of gratitude for who they are and what they do for you and, and, what, and this gift that God has brought to you, okay? Thanks, Pastor. Trying to fix a problem seems natural. But as we heard today, God doesn't want us to try. God wants us to rely to rely on the Holy Spirit working in us to produce the fruit needed for a healthy, loving life and marriage. Part of that includes, as Pastor Clay said, keeping an attitude of gratitude for your spouse. Those are just a couple of the ideas the Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 5 for a successful marriage. Next time, Pastor Clay is going to share two more truths from Ephesians 5 that are vitally important for surviving marital conflict. 
We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.